Thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Beauty Podcast. I'm your host, Priya Rao, Executive Editor at Glossy. And today's guest is Musab Balbale, the Merchandising Vice President of Omnichannel Beauty at Walmart. Welcome, Musab. Hi, Priya. Thanks for having me. We're so excited to have you, Musab. It's been, I was just saying to you before we started the interview, you know, it's been a while that we've spoken. And I think the last time we spoke was right when you kind of joined Walmart in this new role. So would love to hear a little bit about how you kind of landed at Walmart and then how you found yourself in this like so dynamic but ever-changing world of beauty. Yeah, the last year has certainly gone by fast. Um, I've been in and around consumer retail for the last 20 years. The first half of my career was in strategy and venture capital, where I focused on consumer and retail sectors. Um, and then I spent six years at a specialty retailer in the wellness space before uh, I joined Mark Laurie at Jet. When we were acquired uh, by Walmart in 2016, because of my previous background in specialty retail and the wellness space, I had a chance to lead our health and beauty e-commerce businesses for Walmart. Uh, and as a retail category, uh, beauty has been so exciting because it's unlike any other category that I think we had a chance to work on. It combines considered purchases, um, those that are infrequent higher price points with like daily regimen purchases, the consumers looking to replenish on their trusted items and also looking to be inspired. And so I'm really thrilled to be supporting our combined online and in-store beauty efforts. So Musab, this is kind of a newer role at Walmart, because if I remember correctly, you know, the person who was in this role before really just kind of handled more of the store experience. And this is really kind of conjoining digital with store. What's that's been like? It has uh, been really exciting. The last 12 months as we've gone through Omni has probably been one of the most exciting challenges in my career. Uh, we went Omni, we entered the pandemic, we're in the midst of this historic moment for racial justice, which is uh, seeing itself uh, articulated in the beauty shelves. And through this entire period, I can't imagine a better place to have been than Walmart. Uh, as a country's leading grocer, we've got customers coming to us on a weekly basis, and we were allowed to continue through the pandemic. Our scale and reach in stores combined with our digital platforms uniquely positioned us to serve the customer and to deliver both convenience and delight in an unmatched way. Um, and we're addressing larger social challenges as well. We launched the Center on Racial Equity. We committed $100 million to support racial justice. We committed to becoming an environmentally regenerative company which has become so important as COVID has made us all aware of the fragility of our planet. Uh, and so the uh, all this is to say that there's a lot of momentum and energy within Walmart today. And on the beauty team, particularly over the course of the last 12 months, we've built this incredible team combining really exceptional merchants with some exceptional additions from the outside. And together we're forging a path in Omni Retail. Uh, during the first few months, we spent a lot of time listening to the customer, to our brands, to each other. And I've been really struck by how fast we've been able to move. In the few short months that this team has been together, we've nearly doubled the pace of our new brands coming into the beauty aisle. We're evolving our stores to work in a new way to accelerate the freshness of our assortment on our shelves and to make it easier for the customer. And increasingly, we're stepping outside of our retail environment to connect with the customer as well, where they are. And we kind of show this through our TikTok shopping event that we held a few weeks ago. So I'm energized by the speed. I'm energized by what we're learning. Uh, and we're just getting started. 
you made a good point, you know, like obviously during the pandemic, like essential retailers, you know, became even that much more essential. But, you know, I know that it was challenging in some ways that in that, you know, like the beauty department obviously was not like the main reason people were going to stores, but how did you kind of maybe connect as we kind of, this became more of our new normal, like, hey, you're going to go buy your essential items. And then maybe that there is something new and exciting for you over here in the beauty department. And this is what we have to offer. One one of our uh, unique assets is our online grocery pickup business. That is, it is a business that through the pandemic fueled consumers coming back to Walmart, uh, not just on in sort of in the physical space, but also in the digitally enabled space. And so through that process, uh, we were really conscious about making sure that the beauty products she was already purchasing were in front of her. It was easy for her to reorder. We started to combine what we knew about your purchase history in our stores with what we showed you in our digital space. And so we made the replenishment part of that journey so much easier than it had been the time when we were all stressed, when we all didn't know, um, could we get the products that we wanted? Uh, We were trying to manage our shopping lists while managing two-year-olds and four-year-olds running around in the background. And so that drive for simplicity and convenience has really grown the beauty business over the course of the last year. What would you say the customer is really looking for? You know, I mean, we've been in the state for, and I know, you know, in the U.S. at least, we're really kind of coming out of it, but it's been 16 months, you know, and I'm wondering, you know, what the customer has really been gravitating towards because you really have onboarded such new and exciting brands during this time too. We've been circling, Priya, um, around words like simplicity, convenience, accessibility, and delight. And to achieve those ambitions, our new omnistructure really allows us to follow the customer and not just the dollars. So, for example, our beauty customer, when compared to our average Walmart customer, is twice as likely to visit walmart.com prior to a purchase in the store. And nearly half of these .com visits happen 24 hours prior to purchasing in the store. It's a really powerful insight, and it's just the beginning. We know, for example, that half of the beauty touch points happen outside of our physical space and outside of our digital platforms. And we know that on those um, off-site spaces, that the customer, that the excuse me, the share of voice by brands is disproportionately held by smaller Indian niche brands. And so we started to measure the products and brands we're bringing in, not just on the traditional metrics of sales, unit productivity, but We've also started to measure brands based on their ability to drive traffic and consumer energy. So put differently, like we're really focused on three, three really large goals, right? The first is offering an exciting assortment that drives traffic and sales. Um, the second is evolving our experience to be a lot more simple and convenient and a little bit more fun and delightful. And the third is to become just better storytellers to build more meaningful relationships with our customers. Tell me a little bit about the storytelling piece, because I remember, um, I think it was about a year ago now that Heritage launched in your stores. And that was one of the first kind of influencer led brands that with Mindy McKnight. And I know that you're doing more of that upcoming, which I'd love to talk to you about. But, you know, what kind of impact is that having? Because it I mean, it, it kind of argues that like the the legacy brands that, you know, Walmart may have been known for is really being, you know, challenged by some of these indie players. I think there's space for both legacy brands and indie players. That is, we're a house of brands and we serve the customer regardless of the type of brand they want to shop. Uh, We are more focused on getting that balance right. 
That is, we know that new brands and indie brands drive energy in the category. They drive traffic in the category. And it's not dissimilar to beer, right? Craft beer drives a lot of energy, and yet the incumbent, the incumbent beer brands do the majority of sales. And so we've got to get that balance right, and we've got to be able to talk to the consumer in a way that we can showcase all this great new um, newness that's happening, uh, while also making it really easy for them to find their trusted heritage brands. Tell me about the new partnership that you have coming, because obviously that is a brand and a person that has driven so much excitement in the beauty industry this last year, especially. I am so excited about Uma by Sharon C coming to our coming to our shelves. Um, last year, as we thought about how we could support more Black-owned brands, we realized that we needed to change how we engage the, the beauty community. And so Angel Beasley, who's been leading our multicultural business on our beauty team, pushed us to become a lot more proactive. We started to reach out to Black-owned brands and founders. We pitched them on our ambition, our unique strengths of scale and accessibility. We shared the diversity, not just of our team, because our beauty team is quite diverse, but also of our customers, whether that be defined by race or income or age. Uh, And we started to hold non-traditional open call events for minority-owned brands. Amanda Fenske, who's our trend cosmetics buyer, sent Sharon a DM. And from the first moment, there was this incredible shared ambition between Sharon and our teams. What I really love about Uma by Sharon C, which is Sharon's new line um, at Walmart, is that it's inspired by Gen Z, but it reaches across generations. And it should, right? Inclusivity, accessibility, sustainability, these are all universal ethos. Um, And we share them at Walmart. We know our customers share them. And Uma by Sharon C is this incredible brand that brings it to life in a way that it hasn't yet in our stores. How would you say that this line is maybe different than what Sharon has done with her partnership with Ulta or what she does on her D2C site? It is that a true sister brand to Sharon's original Uma line made more accessible. So it uh, still has this incredible active focus on inclusivity, bringing everyone in intentionally into, as she describes it, her tribe. She has uh, pushed the boundaries on sustainability even further than her original line by making more of the products vegan and eco-friendly and cruelty-free. So she has taken what was so special to her on her first first brand and extended it and really made it more accessible. And that was part of the exciting conversation we had with Sharon, is that what she really wanted to do was bring these values, again, that we all care more about now than we did pre-COVID and more make it more accessible, both in terms of price point uh, and also in terms of just physical reach to consumers. Obviously, like this last year, mass beauty has had such a like fervent audience. And I think a lot of that is coming from TikTok, you know, whether it's the CeraVe's of the world and Hiram, and then, you know, you're obviously one of the best players in mass beauty right now. So I would love to hear a little bit about what you think is happening there, because it really seems to be driven by social, driven by Gen Z, which you just kind of mentioned. And, you know, what they want is so much different than, you know, people who are my age who are millennials. It seems it's a much different kind of proposition and and want from their beauty brands. I think uh, there's a couple of dynamics happening. One is physically what's happening in the retail landscape as COVID made it harder for legacy premium destinations like department stores to deliver the the customer experience that they had built their entire business model on, high high touch, high margin products, there's been 
an open space for mass retailers to become more premium, to become a house of brands in a way that they haven't been earlier. The second is the Gen Z audience themselves. The Gen Z audience themselves has a really different set of values, clearly, than, than you and I do, Priya. Um, and in a good way, they're leading us. They're leading us to be better. They're leading us to be more focused on the world around us. Um, they're leading us to be more focused on inclusivity uh, and equality. They're leading us to take a step back from purely thinking about brands to thinking about um, equality in a way that 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 uh, that comes from who we are, not what we wear, or not that the brands or the badges that we wear. And so the uh, there's there's a new customer that's driving change. Uh, my wife and I uh, often look at our closets and sort of ask like, is this, is this totally uncool now? Uh, there's a new, there's a new customer that's, think, that's thinking differently about where they want to shop. And the, the final piece is that there's a new customer that is, uh, and it's still really young, right? The oldest Gen Z consumer is 24, which means the majority of that Gen Z customer base still doesn't have a credit card. Um, so they're coming into stores more or shopping with their parents. The most recent set of studies I've seen suggest that Gen Z think about Walmart differently than millennials or Gen Xers do. And so Walmart is now, I think, one of their most preferred places to shop. Their parents are there anyway, so they're coming with their parents to Walmart. And so I feel really excited about Walmart's ability to actually be a destination for the Gen Z audience. And to do that, we need to have the brands that she cares about. And so we're focused quite squarely on bringing those brands into our stores. Tell me a little bit about that TikTok event, because I was like, you know, I talked to William on your team about this and I thought it was fascinating because you were the first retailer to really partner with them in this way. And I know you started with fashion, but tell me about a little bit about how, what you guys learned and what that was like, because TikTok is definitely where Gen Z is at. We learned so much. And it's, it's as, you, as you'll see, it's just the beginning of what we're going to do on TikTok. Uh, I think we, this, this was the first event, on, like live selling event on TikTok. Um, and we were trying to strike the balance between showcasing products that she cared about and talking about it in an authentic and genuine way while also making it a selling event, uh, making it easy for the consumer to, to, to purchase the products. And so we, there's some just like really tactical things that we did through this, the TikTok platform to make that purchase journey easy. But ultimately our goal was to create energy, right? It was to create energy about the brands that we showcased, it was to create energy about uh, how we talked about those brands and it was to create energy in the industry to, know, to let people know and let brands know that we're pushing. We, uh, we can be first to do something on an explosive platform. We'll learn, we'll get better, but we're pushing to get better. How would you say that the, maybe the customer is reacting, whether it's socially and digitally, to store behavior? You know, has has the purchasing behavior kind of swapped? Like, I mean, are people just doing replenishment online or are they discovering online? It seems like, you know, I don't know if they're two different shoppers anymore after everything that's happened in the last year, but that's what people used to argue, right? That there was there was two different camps in how they shopped. How would you see that change? Yes, I think there's two parts to your question, right? In terms of the the mix shift on e-commerce penetration versus brick and mortar penetration as it relates to age segments. And I think what we saw through COVID was that older consumers that had been less penetrated digitally were forced 
to learn how to use e-commerce and we're forced to use uh, grocery pickup. And so we've seen their penetration of digital channels increase. On, on the exit of, of social distancing of COVID, we've seen younger customers who are just excited to get out again come at a faster rate into our stores. And so the balance um, of online versus offline across age segments has started to converge a bit. I think kind of the second part to your question um, is uh, around around the um, the storytelling piece, right? The the discovery that can happen, and one of the most fun parts of my role is to bring a digital lens to the traditional brick and mortar retail. And the observation that I had when coming into coming to the stores business is that our 4,600 stores actually provide an unmatched platform for discovery in a way that's really hard online. We all know how we shop online. It's primarily through search. Uh, but if we take, for example, the end cap, essentially it's the equivalent of a digital impression. Customers walk through our stores. They encounter that impression on their shopping journey. And pre-COVID, we had 165 million Americans walking through our stores on a weekly basis. By any measure of CPM rates, that multiplies into quite a high media value. So then consider who's seeing that impression. It's a consumer that's like literally behind a shopping cart and literally has dollars that she's willing to spend in that moment. It's a really valuable customer. So the behavioral targeting of those end caps becomes even more valuable. And then as a consumer comes into our aisle and is standing in front of either a natural set or looking for the right complexion care product, behavioral targeting becomes even more precise. So if you if you take a digital lens to to the physical space, I think what at least I've come to the conclusion with is that our physical space offers a chance for discovery that is unmatched online. And as um, customer acquisition costs and media rates become more expensive online, our physical space, if we measure it in digital vocabulary, starts to look even more attractive to bring new brands in front of the customer. And you've definitely been, you know, elevating those end caps and elevating those storytelling opportunities as well. Will you talk a little bit about that, Musab? Yeah, absolutely. So the storytelling part of retail has always been important, right? From the beginning of retail, telling customers about what's exciting has been the core to what we do. And as I understand it, there's four key pillars to storytelling. There's the story, there's the medium, there's the narrator, and there's the amplification of that message. On the story itself, we have become more intentional about making sure that our stories are compelling and tell a series of stories that are beyond just the traditional value story that we may have gone to market with in the past. So we're telling more stories about what's new and what's different. We're telling more stories about the quality. And of course, we're telling more seasonal stories that showcase what we have to offer in really important moments like Mother's Day and certainly holiday. The the second pillar is the medium, right? And we've used traditional media, television, print, email, and those will continue to be important, but the number of canvases have expanded. We've got our on-site editorial pages. We've got a multitude of social channels, each of which work really differently. We've got an emerging non-visual channel in Clubhouse and certainly what we're doing here on podcast. And each of these mediums is different in how the story is presented and shared. The... Um, and TikTok was certainly an example, as we talked about, about how we're trying to learn about these different mediums. Third pillar is the narrator. Brands and retailers have always held a voice, and they'll continue to hold a voice beyond the end cap we talked about, or in terms of how a brand advertises 
But consumers now, through user-generated content, have a voice that they've never had before. Influencers, small and large, have these really powerful voices. And so we're working really more closely um, to make sure that our stories are coordinated across the multiple narrators. And the final piece of the amplification, because you can sort of imagine as like mediums increase and narrators increase, that's an exponential growth in uh, the amount of coordinated places you need to tell a story. And so that requires so much more work by our teams, by our brands, to make sure that we're focused on amplifying the one or two or three messages we want to send out at any given moment in time. We're learning this muscle. And I think what you're going to see on the UMA launch is it was... It, yeah, it's going to show up differently than it ever has before. Would you say, you know, the key pillars, I mean, obviously we talked a little bit about mass beauty a second ago, obviously skincare has been hot with the surveys of the world, with the hirings of the world, but you know, it seems like you've done a lot of work in the hair category, really amplified, you know, what legacy and indie brands are doing there as well as in complexion. Is that really kind of where you think the customer is really coming to Walmart for? I think the customer's coming to Walmart for all all three of like the categories, right? Again, it's sort of, it's sort of like asking which of my kids do I love more. I, I think I think they're they're all great. Um, we have we're, we're we're further ahead in our textured hair business and our indie hair business than I think we are in some of our other categories, uh, and it makes sense. Hair is a little bit less of a considered purchase than certainly skincare, and so given where our legacy strengths have been with the consumer, it's a place where we've been able to accelerate faster. We are changing cosmetics pretty dramatically over the coming year to bring in more indie, more niche brands. Uh, and you'll start seeing that again with launches like Uma. In, uh, and and uh, in, in skincare, again, just a lot more to come there. We'll have more to talk about later this summer, but you'll see more, more newness in our skincare category. And all this is good, right? Because it, it gives excitement for the consumer. I always remind myself that I've got relative to other retailers, an easy job. She's already at Walmart. She's at Walmart 40 times a year buying her organic, her organic avocados. I just have to get her 150 feet from the grocery aisle into our beauty aisle. And that's so much easier of a challenge than actually getting her into the car um, or getting her online onto your, onto your site. With so many stores, Musab, you know, and I've always been fascinated by this with Walmart. And, you know, I'm from Laredo, Texas, all the way on the border of Texas and Mexico. And we have a million different Walmarts and they're all different shapes and sizes and, and configurations. And I'm just wondering, you know, are you thinking about it all? Like, you know, the store, the beauty experience in all of those stores and how do you manage, you know, with so many stores and with so many different formats, like that it's holistic or that it's connected in all of these different doors? It's a really great question, Priya. It's one of the one of the things that we talk about with small brands that come into our stores or that we're talking to. That is, you don't need to come into all 4,600 Walmart stores, but you can come in slowly based on the store that's right for your brand and for your your company. So we've started to segment our stores certainly based on the demographics that they serve and the age of those stores, so that we can we can bring brands in appropriately uh, to help them scale and make sure that we enable their success. I think kind of the second question you're asking is how do we change the perception that consumers have of Walmart? Because as you sort of rightly pointed out, some of our stores are older and they they look their age. And so we need to we need to change that perception. And I think to answer that question too, like uh, we don't have to look at all 4,600 stores. We can start with the stores um, that are further along 
and uh, or, or that are newer and sort of have more of an experience that Jody had helped build over the last few years, that we can do it geography by geography, starting in places like Dallas or Atlanta or Chicago, uh, where we know we can create sentiment. But it's a journey. We're not. We're, we're certainly not going to flip the switch on 4,600 stores. Um, we'll make that journey over the course of the next couple of years. One interesting thing you said just a second ago, Musab, was just about that you don't have to be in all 4,600 stores. And I'm just wondering, like, you know, especially with your outreach with indie brands this last year, like, how are you helping them maybe scale or, you know, take their put their toe in to Walmart and grow? Because, you know, so many things that I hear from indie brands, whether it's prestige or, or mass is that, you know, they, do, they want the support from the retailer and they don't want to have to grow too big or, or, or flatline. And so I'm just wondering, it seems like you've been very considered in the way that you are approaching these brands and making sure that they succeed. Absolutely. So just in the second half of this year, we'll double the number of new brands that we brought on in all of last year. And in order to support that, that pace of brand growth, um, we've really we've really broken the process down into four steps, right? The first is, what is the right number of stores and reach of stores for the brand given where it's at? And that includes both looking at the capabilities of the brand in terms of their ability to make product and support um, the, the high unit velocity that, that Walmart requires, as well as who's the right customer audience that already knows that brand so that when a customer walks into our stores, They've, they've understood, they, they, they know the brand, they react to the brand, and they're more likely to put it into their shopping cart. The second part of that process is um, expanding our financing programs. So we have a number of new programs that we've built over the last year to help smaller and minority-owned brands access capital. And we know this is a problem, especially for, for minority founders. The third is creating a community. Um, we started... Uh, with Judy for Change, which is a nonprofit to pilot a program to help train, teach, and mentor smaller Black-owned suppliers on their journey to larger retail. We're looking at how we can expand that for indie brands more broadly. And the fourth piece is doing more to showcase our our indie brands. Uh, We are restructuring how our end caps um, work to make it less cost prohibitive for small brands to show up on our end caps to make it easier for them to make the the level of investment they need to show up in our end caps. Uh, we're telling more of the story on their behalf through our social media channels and through our outreach. And so we're matching, we're matching the energy that the brands bring to our stores with our own platform to expand the broadcast that they, that they have. My, my ultimate goal is to make every single one of these brands successful. Like we are, we are making bets on these brands. We want each of these um, brands to to pay off that bet, and so so we're not we're not looking to churn churn through these indie brands. Rather, we're looking to sort of create a sustainable program for them. Would you say that you know the excitement from the brands has been fast and furious too? Because I remember I was talking to Melissa Butler from Lip Bar, and she was so excited to be in Walmart, and she's like, "This is where my customer is. This is you know where she's already shopping. She's overspending on complexion because she couldn't get what she wanted." you know, at a Walmart or a Target or an essential retailer before, and now she can. So would you say that like, you know, now that the floodgates have opened, they've really opened? Absolutely. I I think in the last six months, we've seen so much more interest from brands than we had in the six months before that. And there's there's, uh, a number of drivers behind that, right? One is as 
the lip bar with Melissa or um, Uma or um, Crayon Case or, you know, you talked and then Glossy talked about our upcoming launch of Lottie London. Like as these exciting brands come into our stores, people, brands and brand founders see other brands that look like theirs in our stores. And so they feel more comfortable coming into Walmart. I think the second is, is that the ethos of Gen Z is squarely matched with Walmart's ethos, our ability to drive access, our ability um, to drive value, our ability to talk to a really diverse set of consumers, again, on all, all dimensions, is part of what Gen Z is um, authentically uh, passionate about. And so the brand can come to life in, a, in an authentic way at Walmart. So we have a tremendous amount of interest. Um, which, which I think it makes this job even more fun. Last question for you, Musab. Um, and this is kind of a bigger picture question. It seems like there is like really this consolidation happening in beauty, you know, whether it's prestige retailers wanting to go into more mass stores or, you know, luxury retailers onboarding indie brands that are sold at Walmart. It seems like, you know, the space is getting smaller, even though the brands are infinite. What's your take on all of this? It's kind of like, you know, that you can maybe buy Ulta in Target now or Sephora and Kohl's or, you know, La Mer at Costco, you know, I'm just wondering, you know, what does that say about, you know, what you're doing right and what you have access to in, in the larger beauty space? Yeah, so I think that um, the core answer to that is that we're starting to talk about the customer versus brand positioning. So how many shampoos did you use this morning, Priya? One. <laughs> one, right? So the the customer only uses one of the particular product that they're using. And the customer uh, isn't making decisions on whether it's prestige versus mass. They're like looking for a product that serves them. When I think about like my, what I had learned in my past when I was um, at a strategy consulting firm is that one of the challenges that one of sort of the core uh, soft drink CPGs had, had faced was that they measured their market share in terms of dark carbonated beverages when what they should have been measuring their market share based on was the drinks that people imbibe. And when you start to measure purely on your narrow segment, you miss the fact that you only use one shampoo in the morning. You've got one customer, that one customer cares more and more about convenience. They're looking to buy the one shampoo that's right for them or the one moisturizer that's right for them in that moment. They want choice and they want to be able to find the right product and the right value at the location that they're at. They don't want to go drive in the car somewhere else. They don't want to go on a different website. Customer-focused view, both in terms of convenience and access, but also in terms of um, breaking down distinctions that don't really make that sense, that much sense in terms of the customer is what's driving, I think, a lot of this convergence. Thank you so much, Michelle. It was so great seeing you again. And I am very, very excited for Sharon and obviously seeing what else is popping up in Walmart this summer. Well, thank you. I, I'm looking forward to talking again in the new year, um, if we can, because I think it's between now and then you will see so much more change in Walmart. So keep, keep going to Walmart and then tell me what you think. Thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Beauty Podcast. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. Tune in next week for another episode. And if you know someone or more than one who should be listening to the Glossy Beauty Podcast, please have them subscribe. See you next week.